Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are going to be exploring the theme of friendship in The Lord of the Rings. So to get us started, we have a quote. This quote comes from The Two Towers, and it's when Frodo, Sam, and Gollum are journeying together. Frodo and Sam are asleep and cuddled uh, on up <laughs> cuddled on up frodo has his is sleeping laying on sam's lap and sam has his like hand on him and Gollum is watching it sounds kind of creepy when i say it like that but <laughs> we'll go to the quote to see if it actually is peace was in both their faces Gollum looked at them a strange expression passed over his lean hungry face the gleam faded from his eyes, and they went dim and gray, old and tired. A spasm of pain seemed to twist him, and he turned away, peering back up towards the pass, shaking his head as if engaged in some interior debate. Then he came back, and, slowly putting out a trembling hand, very cautiously he touched Frodo's knee, but almost the touch was a caress. For a fleeting moment, could one of the sleepers have seen him, they would have thought that they beheld an old, weary hobbit shrunken by the years that had carried him far beyond his time, beyond friends and kin, in the fields and streams of youth, old, starved, pitiable thing. Poor Gollum. I mean, yeah. I know he was homicidal, but I still feel bad for him. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that that's one of the best things that this book really does, is, is really it helps to humanize a character who the characters themselves don't see as human at the beginning. And mm -hmm. this scene has always stuck with me. I think that actually the writing of it is one of the few passages that like really I, I remember a lot of because not only is it adorable to read about Sam and Frodo's physical intimacy and like closeness mm -hmm. of their friendship, but Gollum's separation from that and and seemingly longing for that and the way that he takes on a presence that is similar to how he used to be just by kind of reaching out for it yeah and i love how this is the moment in the books where the split is more obvious you can mm. see a bit of smeagol and not just Gollum. Yeah, that gleam in his eyes just goes and he doesn't have the same thirst for the ring. I think part of his thirst for closeness, for friendship, is starting to to compete with his thirst for the ring where mm. it, it didn't before. And for a while, he gets along with Frodo quite well. Then he thinks he's betrayed and all of these different things happen. And, and then that Gollum part comes back. And that's really tragic, too, because you saw him start to change and, mm -hmm. and have more of a relationship. And then, you know, it doesn't always work out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's powerful to see that when they describe how he's been shrunken over time, it's that he's lost time but it's also a distance from his friends and from his kin mm -hmm. that have led to him becoming more monstrous and yeah. i think that that is is really powerful and a great way to start this episode about friendship <laughs> yeah so unsurprisingly since i am on character i had to choose mr samwise Gamgee because oh yeah you know 
Is there a better friend than Sam? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gollum would say yes, but <laughs> Frodo would say no. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I I found this quote that I thought was quite great, said by Pippin in, in The Fellowship. It's, Sam is an excellent fellow and would jump down a dragon's throat to save you if he did not trip over his own feet. <laughs> and I just felt like that's so Sam. Pippin, yes. you see Sam, you get him. And yes. this is why I also relate to Sam quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And and I think that, yeah, that captures so much of Sam and, and you too, Chris. I think <laughs> it's great to see that from the origin of this story in, in The Fellowship of the Ring, Sam becomes part of the quest becomes part of the fellowship because he was initially being a good friend and listening at the window to make sure frodo was okay Mm. when he heard raised voices i think it's like so fitting that that's how he got involved and yeah i mean obviously stuck with frodo to the very end even when you know once they finally get to the get to rivendell and you know they thought that this was all they had to do and then it's like oh well frodo's going to mordor (laughs) to check this ring in a volcano (laughs) great i will go along even though i am a little hobbit and have never left the shire really (laughs) and Mm. and i think yeah you see so much of of his friendship because i think frodo is is propelled forward through trying to do what's right and and sacrificing for that but i think sam is propelled forward through his friendship and his love for frodo and Mm. he will sacrifice for that i also just love that there there's different points in time where Sam could have decided not to go further but you know he won't let Frodo go on alone when Frodo is leaving the fellowship you know he just insists on on helping him shoulder this burden and and this you know perilous journey and he's I think they're really the only person that Frodo would really have accepted that from You know, he was leaving Mm. the fellowship for a reason because he knew that this ring could turn others just like it did Boromir. You know, the quote of Frodo wouldn't have gotten far without Sam is just obviously so completely true. And I think that that's really kind of the way it, it is when you have really close and supportive friends that at least if you've had to struggle and had hardships in in your life that you know you just a lot of people would not get very far without their closest most supportive friends yeah i think that sam really shows what a giving friend is and you know you mentioned how he always had the opportunity to make choices not to support frodo but that just wasn't even a decision for sam yeah i just i think that he he that commitment is is something that's so so exemplary absolutely and i think another really beautiful thing about their friendship is that they can really be honest with each other like when sam's talking about a return journey and and frodo's just like i don't think there's gonna be one and Mm -hmm. also at the end when the ring has been destroyed mount doom is 
blowing up and and you know he says that I'm glad you're here with me and here at the end of all things and Mm -hmm. that I also just love that even if you know what they thought was the end of everything to have that person that's closest to you with you then I think is is so meaningful and I think because also of him one being who he is and two being that closest person Sam won't let Frodo give up and die Mm -hmm. on the mountainside there and he compels Frodo to move to a slightly safer place they didn't know eagles would be coming to save them but he was just like no we, we we can't give up now yeah, I, I think Sam's able to motivate Frodo in certain ways that others wouldn't be able to in in that just place of, of despair and of just exhaustion from everything that they had been through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just also adorable that in some of the things, like, you know, I was searching for some quotes and whatnot and just things that they call each other frodo says my dearest hobbit and friend of friends Mm. and even aragorn when he was talking to sam he's like you're frodo like it's Mm -hmm. just it's so nice (laughs) yeah yeah it really is well and sam even at the end when after Frodo had, had gone into the West, he followed after because it's like they're just such close friends. He just, mm-hmm. he couldn't be without Frodo for so long. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when, when you were talking about how Sam was being a friend when he was outside the window and went to hear what was going on, uh, it just makes me think like now I've just got a headcanon that Sam was walking by in the middle of the night because he also checks on Frodo all the time and that that is not uncommon for him to do yeah which would also be really sweet because bilbo was gone at that point and frodo was just alone in that house Mm -hmm. so or he also could have been checking on his plants i could also see that but (laughs) (laughs) he's a friend of plants as well yeah the friend to frodo and plants (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) Yeah. And I also think, uh, so so at the beginning of, of the quote, the context of, of them laying together and everything, you know, it's brought up a lot of questions and people have analyzed the books about whether they had a, a platonic friendship or, or romantic friendship. And mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, Frodo is sleeping with his head in Sam's lap and, you know, they, they embrace and they kiss each other on the forehead or on the hand and everything so there's definitely their relationship i think is pretty unique in its intimacy compared to other close friendships we see in the lord of the rings Mm -hmm. so like mary and pippin or gimli and legolas right they don't do any of those things but just because they do those things doesn't mean it needs to be romantic and I, i like either way so yeah i remember when i was I was in the Middle East and it was just so nice and refreshing to be walking around and see boys just holding hands or like men in their 60s just like walking down the street holding hands and they're just like friends, you know, and it's 
it's completely acceptable to have physical intimacy in that way with your friends, just like how here in the United States, it's more okay if it's between women or it's like queer, right? It's Mm -hmm. guy friends don't really do that in mainstream culture, at least. And so obviously, Sam Frodo doesn't need to be anything romantic, but it's it's an interesting read if you know I was when I was thinking about this I was like I kind of wonder if Frodo and Sam and Rosie just had like this non-traditional modern alternative <laughs> relationship because <laughs> I kind of feel like Frodo is asexual and like for him he likes the companionship and the closeness and even the cuddles and stuff you know, maybe Rosie was just cool with Sam having that kind of relationship with Frodo. Because <laughs> they all mm-hmm. live together in Bag End. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it would be a cute modern relationship of just a different way to be. Yeah, I ship it. <laughs> <laughs> but conclusion, Sam's a great friend. And if you ever have to go on a dangerous quest, you probably want to have him along. Even if it was not a dangerous quest, if I just need to go get some groceries, I would love to have some <laughs> hang out with me. That's true. He would he would know about the food too. Totally, yeah, absolutely. Know what spices to get. Yeah, I'm sure he would carry the groceries as well. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> I may not be able to carry you, but I can carry them. <laughs> so let's move into your plot point. What what do you have for us today? Yeah, I wanted to talk about the concept of an elf friend in Lord of the Rings. Okay, okay, cool. Because multiple characters are called elf friend through the series, and especially in the books, this is something that actually has some really interesting dynamics involved with it. There are actually some some groups of people who are considered elf friends as well, like like the Numenorians are considered elf friends. But in the Third Age era of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, it's really just a few characters who spend a lot of time with elves and, and particularly have good relationships with them. And so Bilbo, Frodo, Aragorn, Gimli, they're all called elf friend at some point. And some of it is kind of their background, like Aragorn grew up with the elves, makes sense that he would be considered Elfrend. I think even his name kind of translates similarly to Elfrend. Mm. And Gimli spends, you know, so much time with Legolas that he becomes an Elfrend as well. But especially for Frodo, you really see this really interesting way of him obtaining this title of Elfrend and that becoming something that becomes a part of him in a certain interesting way. He earns it before he even gets to Rivendell when he meets up with Haldir and the other elves on their way to, to I think, even before Bree. And hmm. he just, like, hangs out mm-hmm. with Haldir all night. They're chatting. He's using this little elfish that he knows. And Haldir's <laughs> just like, you are so cool. I'm going to call you an Elfrend. It's true, though. Uh, it's true. And it's totally true. And when, when Frodo meets Goldberry, the wife or partner of Tom Bombadil, she says that she... I always thought she was the daughter, which is real bad, considering you just said wife or partner. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, she's the daughter of the river. Oh, that's right. Okay. Tom Bombadil's wife, yeah. But she recognizes Frodo as Elfrend. She says she sees it in his eyes. And... Hmm. I think that's really interesting that he has been touched in this way. 
and and I saw some other online discussion about this, how it kind of relates back to the more fairy tale aspect of the fae and of elves as seen as this kind of fairy representation, um, which was actually in the mind of Tolkien, apparently, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in, when understanding the th- mythologies of Great Britain. The Hobbit's a really good example of this, where Bilbo leaves the, the kind of settled world and goes further and further into the wild, into this fey type of world. And, and especially when he's in, in Mirkwood, there's invisible elves having parties and all these other kinds of spells and weird stuff going on. And that very much is similar to old fairy tales of people who go to an elven party and have to be careful what they eat, that they might have spells put upon them that makes it they can't go back, and all these interesting elements, and, and that going to the fae, going to the wild, in some way is going to change you, so that at the end of the fairy tale, you come back to your world changed in some way, as Bilbo does. Hmm. Here, we see Frodo in his first real long encounter with elves, is forever changed by it. He becomes an elf friend in a way that is visible to other people. Yeah, it it kind of represents him leaving the Shire and starting this journey that is going to change him forever. So I think it's really interesting, this this concept of elf friend, because it, it at the same time has these kind of narrative mythological implications to it, while also, I think, representing the realities of a war-torn world with different groups that all have their own vested interests. And so Aragorn coming into Lothlorien in Fellowship of the Ring is called an elf friend by Legolas, and that helps to grant them passage into the area that he has been designated, even if he's never spent much time there, I don't know if he's ever spent any time there, but he has been designated as someone who is trustworthy by elvenhood, and especially for a group like the elves who are at times very isolated from other communities and who at times can, especially by the time of those movies and books, keep themselves distant from the world and ultimately leave the world for their their own livelihoods. I just mm-hmm. think it's interesting that they, they have this element of those who prove themselves in whatever way can be officially considered a friend of their community or, or what have you. Yeah, that is really interesting. You know, when I was thinking about this episode, I was like thinking about, oh, elf friend, but then I didn't research it. So I'm glad you did the work for me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, why don't we move into our compelling questions? What questions do you have for me? Yeah, so I'm wondering what aspects of friendship in the books you either relate to or that you find maybe particularly interesting as opposed to like, common portrayals of friendship yeah i mean you already touched on sam yeah and sam and frodo's friendship which i think as you mentioned the the intimacy there is is really striking and i i totally agree that whether it's a friendship or if there's romance involved and and i i can definitely see it being a asexual but you know romantic connection that there, there is a closeness there between the two male characters that you don't see very often. And frankly, yeah. whether it is romantic or not, I think is not important, which I think is also mm-hmm. a, a really important way of representation in that friendship, of just saying that closeness is important and love and caring for each other is important. And it might be romantic, it might not, but it doesn't have to be. And that's okay. 
Yeah, I love it too. I think it's it's such a unique portrayal of friendship that we don't yeah see in many things and it's also just so striking to me as well that this became such a popular series in britain of all places <laughs> and that people have loved sam and frodo ever since the beginning and and it's just very interesting culturally i think mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about Gimli and Legolas's friendship over over this podcast. So I think the one thing that that comes to mind that I don't think we've talked about is the way that friendships can start sometimes, or at least some of the friendships I've had have started just because of a shared interest, mm. and their shared killing interest orcs. happens to be killing orcs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, maybe that's no different from like me and my friends who liked playing Halo together in middle I school. I was gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> let um, me see how many we killed. <laughs> literally it tells you who how many people you kill at the end oh, of the exactly. round so yeah, yeah it, it it gives you that kd ratio uh nice and easily so <laughs> you uh, don't even have to count it yourself anymore exactly <laughs> so uh yeah but but i think that that's an interesting way of, of looking at that because they are people who at first don't get along and they grow that out of a shared kind of camaraderie and competitiveness and one of my, my closest friends, when he first moved and came to our middle school, I didn't like him because, I, frankly, I was worried that he would be funnier than I was. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't, but he was funny enough that I was like, okay, I can like this guy. He brings humor but doesn't threaten me much. As long as you don't make more people laugh than me. If we're about equal, <laughs> it's okay. Precisely. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But then, yeah, the, the last last friendship I can I can think about is uh, is of course Mary and Pippin, and I appreciate their friendship because it reminds me of the play episode that we had, where so much of it is based off of the fact that they have fun together, and mm. I love seeing that, and and you see that, you know, with them stealing one of Gandalf's fireworks and and these other types of things that I think are just yeah they're fun, particularly when you realize that they're both like thirty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like are, they seem like they they're like, like teenager. I think Frodo's like fifty and they're like thirty because they're oh. they're younger than he is. Okay. I will say the one thing about all of the Hobbits' friendship that I I really admire in the books and wish was in the movies was the conspiracy, was mm. the fact that the Hobbits knew Frodo so well that they knew what his plans were and planned to ensure that they could be there to help him. And, and in fact he wouldn't have been successful if not for their help. And yeah. while I think honesty and communication is always useful, you can also understand when you think the world's at stake, maybe that won't be in the forefront of everyone's mind. And so I love how, how it not only shows their compassion and love for, for Frodo and what they're willing to do to help him, but it also gives Sam a little bit more agency in his choice to, to be along on the journey, where it's not just Gandalf forced him to, but that he was a prime part of this conspiracy to go with Frodo from the very beginning. And yeah. I just think that's great. Absolutely. And I was tempted to use a quote over again because in our love episode, we used to quote by, by Mary uh, during when they reveal to Frodo that they know what he's planning and are coming mm -hmm. along anyway. And it's... It's great. You can go back and re-listen to the quote. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, and speaking of Merry and Pippin, that's definitely something that I I love and that I relate to as as well because they're cousins and I grew up close to some of my cousins and I've I've even lived with two of my cousins and it's cool because family's one thing and friends are another. Sometimes they overlap, right? But I don't know that that's always portrayed a ton in media where it's like cousins are just super great friends and can, yeah, have a lot of fun together, just like playing mm. games and doing, you know, all sorts of stuff, but then can also be there for each other in the really difficult moments as well. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing for me that I loved is at the, at Bilbo's birthday party when he says i don't know half of you half as well as i should like and i like less than half of you half as well as you deserve i just i mean first of all that's brilliant and that's just one of the best quotes of all time yeah just brilliant writing good job J.R. tolkien but it's just such an honest and true statement i think because there's always people that we wish that we were closer to or got to spend more time with or knew mm. better. And then there's also always people that we like less than we probably should. And mm-hmm. I love that Bilbo just like says it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love that the whole quote sounds, and, and part of the confusion that they, they experience is that it sounds like it might be mean to them. But it's mm-hmm. actually really nice. Like it, yeah. it, both sides of that are things that is is yeah, as you mentioned, honest and things that people don't usually say, but are nice things that you of the way you think about others. Yeah, I mean, and really, he's putting the fault on himself, mm-hmm. and and not on them, unless he's saying more than half of you do deserve how little <laughs> I think of you. <laughs> but <laughs> we don't know about that. That part's a question mark. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that would be my statement and then yours would be the positive one absolutely yes interpretation (laughs) i mean not really like my actual friends like i'm i'm very big fans of even though you know i can see their faults and everything you know just as hopefully i can see most of my own but yeah yeah good job bilbo way to be honest (laughs) another thing that i have Related to actually recently, far more than I ever had before. I, I always liked the line, but I didn't relate to it in the same way. And it's when Faramir asked Frodo if he was a friend of Boromir. And mm-hmm. Frodo said, yes, I was his friend for my part. Mm-hmm. And ugh, that's just... <laughs> and then over the past year, uh, I've mentioned a, a couple of times, I think in passing, just um, a, a friendship that, that was lost. And it was, it was because I discovered lies that this person had told me. And there was such a breach of trust and mm. respect that that friendship that had been what I thought was, was very close and, and very meaningful for me was gone you know it, it couldn't survive it and so yeah that that line is like i was a friend for my part mm-hmm. it's like he can't say yes we were friends after what happened after boromir attacks him so he said what was honest and 
No. And for his part, he he was a friend, and yeah, I I just I've always loved that line, and then I I love it in a new way. It, it's brought me comfort and has has a depth there that I'm sure a lot of people can probably relate to. Totally, yeah, it's a great line. Yeah, and then the last one I will mention is after Frodo is stabbed by the Morgul blade and he's in the process of turning into a a wraith, Mm -hmm. the book says that he saw his friends' faces more clearly again and a measure of new strength and hope returned. Mm. And I just, I love that line. I think, yeah, when the worst happens, when you're struggling, when things seem hopeless, when you're in pain, like, seeing your friends faces really can give you new strength and can I think help you hold on to yourself more and longer so I thought that was a beautifully deep just kind of aside in in what's happening in the bigger plot yeah that is nice it's a great quote I didn't I don't remember that quote I didn't either but when I was like searching for the quote for our thing and I was just like ah friendship in Lord of the Rings and then (laughs) that one came up I was like I loved this yeah that's great yes so I guess we should move on to what your compelling question for me is sure I want to know how you think Sam and Frodo's relationship as servant and master affect their friendship that's a good question. It's interesting because their interactions do fall into this dynamic in in many instances, but then they also blur those lines and like cut across them sometimes as mm-hmm. well. So Sam was Proto's gardener. Mm-hmm. So even like the word servant and master is kind of strange. I mean, maybe there's probably some Tolkien scholars out there who know the answer to this question, but I don't know (laughs) if it ever, like, goes into the kind of background family history of of the Gamgees and, like, how they relate to the Bagginses and if this is something, you know, but I I don't know. It just, I'm, I'm not sure how it all works. Like, is he paid? He's at the pub drinking, you know, like, does he have money? You know, I just, I'm not sure how it all works because mm. in our day and age, it's like, you could be friends with your gardener and they're, I mean, like, they would never call you master, right? That would be super right. weird. <laughs> and so the, I, I'm confused, I guess, in some of how their relationship works and like those mm-hmm. different statuses, but he you know he does call him that and i don't know if it's just because he's from a lower class and so he feels like that's a form of respect or whatnot yeah maybe it's just frodo doesn't have to work and and sam does and so that's where that comes from but i think i mean you you see sam helping to take care of frodo cooking or um caring more well, I don't know, at least in the movies. I, I, I haven't read carefully in the books of like, does Frodo have a bag on his back too? You know, mm. I'm not I'm not really sure. So yeah, I, th- I think it's 
interesting, especially considering how close their relationship is and how close their friendship is, that Sam still does use that language sometimes. I don't remember Frodo referring to Sam as his servant very much. Mm. Or, or calling him the servant, blah, blah, blah. Like he always just calls him Sam or, as I was saying before, my dearest hobbit, friend of <laughs> friends. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's like Sam feels socially inferior and so he maintains that, whereas Frodo doesn't see him that way and feels no need to reinforce that dynamic I'm not sure because obviously Frodo doesn't have power over Sam in the ways you would typically think of a master-servant relationship. He's like, I'm going on this quest, you don't have to come, I'm going by myself. Rather than, I'm going to Mordor, I'm going to bring my servant with me so he can carry my stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, honestly, the point is I'm confused. <laughs> that is my response. But I, I do think that at the very least we see some of those dynamics breaking down as all of them in the end are, are bowed to and have this status within the Shire that is, is not Sam at the bottom. So yeah, I don't know. What, what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah, a lot of similar points. I kind of think about it in, in two different ways that at times are competing because I think if you're looking just at the text itself, though Sam is considered a, a servant and, and that language that you mentioned is, is used throughout, Sam, I think, is also portrayed in a wholly heroic light where mm -hmm. he is someone who his giving nature and his support and the choices that he makes for this quest are all so heroic, so so courageous, and and so amazing. I think that really, if you look at the the heroes of the story, it's Frodo, Sam, and Aragorn. And and I think that mm -hmm. any character who is put in the same category as those other characters is is one whom clearly has a lot of acclaim and is a is a prized character. And so I think the story in a lot of places, it really kind of is able to subvert a idea of Sam is just a servant. Mm -hmm. But I also think about it in in a kind of metatextual way, because for one, I know that I, I've heard some Tolkien scholars talk about how he kind of saw the Shire as a representation of idealist feudalism, where tying people to the land and these hierarchies of kind of lordship was really important to kind of how Tolkien saw a, a more utopian vision of human society. That comes with these kind of societal expectations that even if Frodo didn't demand Sam and Rosie come live with him, perhaps it was just so socially ingrained that that's the expectation that Sam was fulfilling that in that choice or, or whatever it might be. And even beyond that, whether whether that is Tolkien's his actual motivation or not, I think about it even wider in kind of criticisms of media that try to kind of normalize and hide the awful conditions of hierarchies through history. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know a ton about class struggles in the UK, frankly, but when you think about the American context 
uh, of course, slavery comes to mind, but there's all other kinds of kind of unfreedom that people experienced Mm -hmm. throughout our history. And, you know, slavery is a best example where you see all of these both historical and frankly, fairly recent pieces of media that will represent these great relationships between white folks and enslaved folks or or black folks who are otherwise oppressed. And Mm -hmm. it, it kind of holds up this exemplary oppressive figure as not being as awful as the system that they benefit from and are a part of. And, you know, in the 1920s and 1930s, there was a lot of media that was talking about how the black slaves in the United States were happier in that way, and they were treated better by their masters than they could be treated outside of that. And I think that it's also a good idea to to think about this writing and be critical of when it might lean into those types of tropes. And again, it's, I don't want to say it's its entirely able to be, uh, to, it's just not a one-to-one comparison to look at slavery in the U.S. and class relations in the U.K. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm using that as an example of something that I am more familiar with and the way that that has been uh, kind of nuanced in media, media criticism recently. And, and I hope that, I'm sure there are people who've done that work on Tolkien and other types of media that I'd be really interested in reading. But it's just, yeah, something to keep in mind that, that though I think Sam's representation, Sam's character is so wonderful... I also want to be mindful of when that can be a problematic just format for storytelling. Yeah, no, that's definitely a really good point. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how the books are more looking at, like, there's three classes of heroes that you were talking about, right? So there's Mm. Aragorn, who would be the royalty, and then there's Mm -hmm. Frodo, who is upper class, and then there's... Sam, who is working class, and all of them are heroes. So the class doesn't determine them being strong and brave and just pivotal for the continuation of the the world. And Mm. so it's more looking at that than it's looking at the dynamics between those classes as the characters interact. And mm-hmm. so it's like it's subverting one thing, but then like not explaining or subverting another. Yeah. Yeah. So your your kind of point about it being confusing or you you being confused about <laughs> it. Yeah, I think that it's an interesting kind of nuance there to 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 talk about. And I'm just glad I was able to have that discussion with you on the podcast. <laughs> As I stumbled through saying it's confusing many times in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have all the answers. Sometimes we just raise the questions. (laughs) Yeah, and and this kind of leads me to to my missed opportunity, which is we don't really see the friendships that do bridge class and race divides in in the books, how that bridging takes place. Mm. And it's like these important elements of of each party involved in whatever those relationships are they should be addressed in some way Mm. because one clear confusion and two when those things are never addressed yeah it, it can be problematic i think it's it's interesting because as you were talking about this this master servant relationship when i think about media we're watching today about today there can be relationships spanning different classes but there's never such explicit language determining what those classes are 
in hmm. in in like character titles usually i mean i'm sure it happens sometimes but in just like modern day movies and tv shows that are supposed to be taking place now and so in some ways it's interesting because the book does bring you right there because they're using these words whereas a lot of media now it's just like oh this is a super rich person and this is like a person who grew up in a less affluent neighborhood but somehow they're still great friends and obviously mm -hmm. that that can happen but it's just when it's not talked about and you know between Legolas and Gimli like there were severe prejudices there and mm -hmm. just a common interest isn't going to untangle all of that and like unravel the misconceptions or the prejudices that they had and so yeah it's just it's a missed opportunity that we didn't get to see a little bit more of that work be done and I mean I also do acknowledge that in our own lives that work isn't always done, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I have some friends that are, you know, grew up much poorer than me or grew up much richer than me, and we don't always talk about it, you know? Not mm -hmm. because we're avoiding it. Maybe we'll talk about class issues, but we don't necessarily talk about it in terms of our relationship and our relationship dynamics, which, yeah. you know, is probably we all should do a lot more because it, their factors in, in how we think, relate, engage in the world and everything, right? Totally. And so, yeah, I just, I wish we got a little bit more of that. So that's, that's yeah. my main missed opportunity. And then just a little aside, which is in the movies, Frodo sent Sam away. And in the books, Frodo never would have done that. Frodo no. never would have sent Sam away. So no. that just needed to be said twice because <laughs> that didn't happen and that's ridiculous and no so yeah bad adaptation <laughs> but uh what about you what are you, what is your missed opportunity my missed opportunity has still saruman okay. because i think it would be really interesting to learn a little bit more about how maybe his ultimate turn to be a fascistic kind of author authoritarian force is because he didn't get the same kind of relationships that the other wizards did. Because mm -hmm. all of the wizards are, are not the same as the other people of Middle-earth, right? I think they're Maiar, yeah. angel-like beings, uh, divine beings of some sort sent here to, to kind of fulfill the wishes of higher-tier angels or godly-type beings. So they, they have this kind of intrinsic difference and in some ways kind of exalted status above the, the other peoples of Middle-earth. But... Gandalf and Radagast have very specific relationships, and then the Blue Wizards, who are kind of mentioned, we at least know they're hanging out together. So they've got that relationship, at least. Um, mm -hmm. Radagast is friends with all the animals, and Gandalf is friends with hobbits, and he has a relationship with them that is just about enjoying time together. And I think Smoking that having and those... fireworks. Exactly. It, just chilling. And it's interesting to think about how Saruman... All of his relationships that he he has are shown to be entirely manipulative. Where mm -hmm. when King Theoden comes to talk to him and says, "We were friends once. Can we be friends again?" and, and Saruman starts to try to try to manipulate him, and when when Theoden stands up for himself, he's immediately discarded for Saruman, where he no longer has time. And in fact, lashes out because 
the friendship wasn't real, it was just about what he can get from Theoden. And and his relationship with Wormtongue is like that. The orcs in Urakai we see him talking to are clearly servant relationships. You know, he doesn't really seem to have much or any real friendship. Uh, and maybe the only one that he could have had would be with Gandalf, but that clearly didn't turn out very well either. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's it'd be an interesting kind of character study where unlike Sauron, who we learned so little about and is literally never personified outside of an eye, Saruman is a human-like character. And certainly if he is kin to Gandalf, has a lot of human characteristics. And I think that it would be really interesting to see how his kind of turn away from being benevolent may have had something to do with the fact that he never built the relationships that the other members of his order were able to do with their time on Earth. And mm. I just, I think that's an interesting area that uh, I think it'd be cool to be, to explore a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because it's kind of like this Ravenclaw gone bad situation where maybe he's just interested in people for what they can bring him, what new things he can learn. Because he used to walk in Fangorn Forest, right? He Mm -hmm. used to have relationships with the Ents. And then all of that, you know, just toss that away and let's cut them down for when I need something new and to build this new species. And, oh, now I'm going to use this Palantir, and now I know Sauron's there, and now I'm going to, you know, I I just, yeah, I kind of wonder if it's, for him, his interest in people is just what he can learn from them, and when Mm. they're not giving him anything new or interesting, or they're not complying with what he wants, it's just tossed aside. Yeah. I mean, and there are people like that, right? Sadly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we go into our takeaways? What are you taking away from this conversation? I think I'm taking away that amidst, you know, some of the missed opportunities and some of the unexplained issues that that can be problematic in regard to class, I think that Lord of the Rings does have really beautiful and moving examples of friendship and also really interesting ways of of looking at friendship and yeah there's there's a lot of depth in sometimes just one little line that speaks to truths about friendship and something that that we didn't talk about but there was a quote from Frodo talking to Faramir basically saying Elrond had told him that you know they would find friendships along the way and Mm. that they weren't even looking for and you know he was saying certainly I looked for no such friendship as you have shown to have found it turns great evil to good and yeah even in the midst of all of the terrible things that are happening in middle earth and how dire the circumstances are friendship is shown to be something that is powerful and motivating and precious and in Gollum's case even you know more precious than the ring potentially Mm. when reading the books I I wasn't really thinking about friendship a ton at the forefront in in a a lot of different ways or seeing them yeah just 
have random hospitality that leads to friendships happen throughout Middle Earth, but I think that that's a strong, strong theme in the books as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what about you? What's your takeaway? One of the things that's kind of just been on my mind this conversation is how I think one of the the kind of extraordinary, not capabilities, but characteristics of hobbits, or at least the hobbits that we see in these books, is their ability to make friends mm. and how they're able to do so so easily and, and, and make people care about them so quickly. One of the other quotes that we were talking about was one by Treebeard, where he felt like he had become such good friends with Marion Pippin and was like, maybe I'm becoming hasty because this has happened <laughs> just over a, a few days. And and yeah. I, I think about how Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas are willing to sprint for days without rest after the Urukai, after mm-hmm. Marion Pippin, and how they see that as their duty. And just all of the ways in which, you know, again, Haldir naming Frodo elf friend the first night they meet and, and just chat. Like, I think it's so cool that hobbits are an unextraordinary race in all the ways that are typically valued in these epic stories, but just that their their ability to build relationships and, and empathize with others and have others empathize with them so strongly and so powerfully and so quickly is, uh, I think, really, really interesting and exceptional. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, Sam and Frodo's friendship is what saved the world, so. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> well, what will we be discussing next week? We are going to be going back to The Hunger Games and The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And we are going to be looking at it through the theme of agency. Wonderful. Agency in Hunger Games. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then... Peek out.